Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. So, um, what's up? Hello. We're back. We are back. We spent the last <laughs> week together every minute of every day, oh except for a couple of di- minutes. Oh my God. I am so excited to talk about this and we've been getting a ton of questions all week. Yes. Everyone's like, oh my God, what happened? Is that the thing where you puke? And I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, we are excited to share with you guys our very, well, not your first. Yeah. Not my first. Not your first ayahuasca experience. You can maybe share with that a little bit. Danny and I were, we got a, so the way this came up is that we got, referred to a place called Rhythmia Health Advancement, Life Advancement Center in Costa Rica. It's an amazing kind of like amazing resort in Costa Rica for a seven day stay and to do a media trade. So basically what that means is Danny and I go down there, all expenses paid. We just had to pay for our own flight and we were, uh, had to have the full experience, which included four nights of an ayahuasca ceremony, um, as well as breath work and all these other kind of like life advancing uh, things, as well as interviewing a couple of their facilitators the owner Jerry as well as some of the uh, the staff and things like that so we did that we were a, a little scared I don't know that we necessarily would have sought this out if it hadn't been this hasn't been presented to us yeah well the reason it was presented was actually my friend Josh Trent who is the host of wellness force podcast he saw my depression post on Instagram and I don't I don't know if you listen to the depression podcast but he saw the depression post and he reached out to me in a DM and he's like hey Danny have you ever tried ayahuasca for depression because apparently a lot of people go do ayahuasca ceremonies for PTSD and anxiety and depression. And I said, yeah. And I said, actually I had, so about a year and a half ago, I'm trying to remember when, if it was the fall, I, I don't remember exactly, but I heard about ayahuasca, DMT, a couple different, uh, iboga, a couple different, like other psychedelics from a Tim Ferriss podcast back in 2015. And I was intrigued because of the whole depression angle, the addiction angle, all of that stuff. And so I was intrigued by it, but I didn't really think anything of it. Like, you know, how does somebody go down to the jungle in Peru to do that? Right. And of course, living in California, I started to hear about people doing it all the time. So California is like the place where if you want to know where to find stuff, like it's people know. So um, Josh had actually connected me with the ayahuasca chick in LA I went to this experience. I can't really say that anything happened. All I really thought was that it was a very beautiful ceremony. I went in and everybody wore white and it seemed like they were already, like they had these altars set up and things. And I just brought one blanket and was like, oh, okay. And I couldn't really eat all day. And all I remember was that just everybody seemed to be like throwing up. Nothing really happened to me. And I just felt like it was a long night and I was just really hungry. <laughs> so I didn't have the best experience. I didn't have a life-changing experience. So I wasn't really interested in doing it again. So Josh said, well, listen, this experience, you're going to do a four nights. So you're definitely going to have something happen. And so once he told me about it and he shared with me his experience, I said, okay, let's, let's look at it. So I brought this up to Jill. And so this was probably August, yep. July. So we've been planning this for a long time. 
And um, so, yeah, four days of ayahuasca. So just so people know, let's just talk about like high level. If you guys don't know what the fuck we're talking about, ayahuasca is a, quote, plant medicine. So throughout today, we'll probably talk about it. We'll say the plant medicine or the medicine. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we are referring to ayahuasca. So it is a, basically it's a plant extract. It's found in nature and it is psychedelic, hallucinogenic. And it, the, main in, the main kind of active compound is DMT, which is, stands for dimethyl tri something tryptamine tryptamine tryptamine. dimethyltryptamine um which is found in your body and we did an interview with the doctor so he kind of explained a little bit we were excited for you guys to hear the other um interviews that we did one of them was because you know i mean both of us have science backgrounds and we were interested in exactly what's happening when you take something like this right so it's not like you're just taking like a little pill and you're like let me just see what happens this is actually you know it's it's all natural and the place that we went was medically supervised they actually had a medical license you actually had to have a a one-to-one with the physician and get the okay to do this and basically it rewires or it can has a potential to rewire some of the neuronal connections in your brain. And we'll talk more about that kind of as we go. So it wasn't, to me, it was, we kind of joked about it's like organized drug taking, which it kind of was. Yeah. Um, but it was done in a very like safe, calming. They've had almost 5,000 people go through Rhythmia over the last five years. So it, it's... But it was also done in a very ceremonial way. So this comes from thousands of years of tribes that that have done this for a spiritual experience. So, you know, I think for me going in, I looked at it as like, oh, this is just a bunch of people getting high. But I realized that it was really more of like taking an old, old tribal, um, I, I don't know what to call it, like ceremony basically, and and taking these traditions and learning about them and then using that experience. So we did one night where it was more of an Amazonian tradition. We did one night that was more Colombian tradition and one night that was more like a Brazilian. And there was four nights, so I can't remember the other one, but very like South American, old tribal kind of stuff. There was a shaman involved um, in every single night. So different shamans who would lead a certain kind of Um, like prayer or intention and there was music there was just there was like certain things you had to do before you just took the medicine so it wasn't like okay this is a party I mean it was very very ritualistic very ceremonial and that's why when I had my first experience the one thing I took away was it just felt very beautiful it felt very much like church in a way Mm -hmm. like we were joking yesterday kind of how it felt like taking the communion like you'd you'd take your cup and like bless it and and all of that stuff so it was also done in a way that I think tended to respect the tradition of right it. I think I enjoyed that part I think I enjoyed like the more like anthropological how's mm-hmm. the word anthropological anthropological aspect of it this the thing that I struggle with the most and we'll talk about kind of maybe some of the pros and cons and just so you guys know like we're not advocating it for you we're not like not advocating it for you at least I'm not I I think that maybe it could be useful for some people we'll talk about maybe who and maybe for others it's not and I'll, we'll share with you guys our experiences I appreciate that the thing that I struggle with the most I think was the idea the the like spiritual side of things like I can I can get on board with like uh the mental kind of like rewiring of the brain like the traditional stuff like I really appreciated that I wanted to respect the traditions and, and the cultures what I had a hard time with was um I think a lot of what I felt like was very esoteric speak mm-hmm. that didn't really mean anything unless you gave it meaning sure. right so a lot of times we would do so just so you guys kind of know we did four nights in a row we got there on a Sunday we did our first ceremony Monday night and then on Tuesday the following during the daytime we had like an integration session so we came back into the room and people shared their experiences from the night before yep. and a lot of them were 
pretty crazy because you're on a hallucinogenic. So like a lot of them were, you know, just different scenes coming at you, random things, you know, uh, things from people's past that maybe they didn't, that was conjured up, maybe they didn't know about. And so one of the biggest criticisms of ayahuasca is that it's, and also one of the things that people love about it is they say it's 20 years of therapy in like one evening. So what it does is it's kind of like a sled, it takes a sledgehammer to your psyche in a way and it shows you all of your bullshit. It shows you that the the, the ego parts of you, it shows you uh, the things that you don't necessarily want to see. It shows your insecurities. It shows you the things that you're struggling with. And we'll talk more about how it shows you those things Mm -hmm. in a second. And they have the integration. And so people are sharing some of the visions that they're seeing or that they did see. And then the explanation of them could be anything. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was the, the part I struggle with the most. Like you could literally just make some shit up and be like, well, that's because you, you know, I mean, to me, I always think that our insecurities always come down to not feeling good enough, but it's like, because your grandmother, like seven generations ago, yeah. you know, had this thing that she struggled with and that's coming up in you. And like, so I had a little bit of a problem with everything being able to be explained mm-hmm. away through the very like spiritual speak. Yeah. The spiritual part was tricky because, and, and I even asked uh, Jerry this in our interview and Jerry's the owner just kind of how did he rationalize things when it came to growing up in a religion and maybe that's part of the issue too for me being raised in a religion and believing different so and we had a gal in the car say would your parents ever do this and I was like hell no, no. like my parents are very Mormon the way that they spoke in about the ceremony they they would constantly say and and I might say it here too just to to keep things to have it make sense and how they spoke about it, but they would call it mother ayahuasca and they would say she, and she was telling me this and she was telling me that. And like, basically the spirit of the medicine is, has a feminine essence and she's in your body and and all of that kind of, kind of speak and language. And I think growing up in a church where God is a man, God is a human, not a plant. There's a lot of things that and not, not that I even believe that either, but it was kind of, to me, it was kind of like uh, the backside of the same kind of coin of like, you know, just creating a religion around a plant or something. Yeah, yeah. it definitely felt like it could be a, like a religion. Religion, sure. Yeah. And so one of the parts, and what did you think about this, that I felt like the more, it was almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. I think the more you surrendered or the more you believed in the concept of having a miracle when you were taking the medicine, the more likely you were to conjure up one. Yeah, this was the tricky part. And actually, and this is where, where like my brain going into it and my brain coming out has a weird disconnect because, you know, I've done, I did hypnosis and I think I might've talked about it before. I did an interview with Grace Mm -hmm. uh, here, who was one of my hypnotherapists and I thought it was complete bullshit. And then I got a lot out of it in my hypnosis sessions. I learned some things about myself that are buried in your subconscious, kind of similar to what ayahuasca does, like things that are buried in your subconscious that come up and then it tends to make sense of what's happening now. And so while yes, I think the surrender and all that kind of can make you come up with some of the stuff, it's hard because the things that come up aren't the things you think that you would actually think of yourself. Mm. So mm-hmm. that's where my mind has a little bit of like, but it's, you can't just explain it away that way. Right. Like, so there's some inexplicable, to me, there's some inexplicable pieces of this that maybe it could be spirit. Maybe it could just be weird self subconscious stuff. Maybe it's the like deep inner workings of the brain. I don't know. I don't have the answer. So I think that's why it's easier to maybe go down the spiritual route and say it's spiritual if you don't know the science. And maybe one of these days we'll have all the science that it makes sense. Mm -hmm. 
But um, do you guys, do you want to just kind of give, let's give everyone a overview of like, just like, just kind of set the stage for like what this was this yeah. weekend, you know? So just so you guys like from a tactical perspective, understand we're based at somewhere. We kept like calling it summer, summer camp, camp a little bit because <laughs> we all, everyone had their own like little room and it felt very cozy and you kind of walked around and everyone had little bungalows. And then in the middle of all of the bungalows were around the perimeter. In the middle, there was this huge room. It was a big open room, uh, lots of windows, lots of big windows lots of light and there were 60 people doing it this week yep. so there's 60 people so you walk in and every single night mattresses yeah so every single floor. night we had to gather at 5 30 yep. and we were so nervous like anytime every single day like as 5 30 started to come <laughs> so to come anxiety. up we're like oh my god fuck it's almost 5 30 we gotta go we gotta go so we walk in and there are 60 beds with just white linens. Yep. Everyone has their own bed. Everyone has their own blanket, their own pillow, their own bucket, bucket. puke bucket, puke bucket, and roll of toilet paper. <laughs> so you walk in and it feels, to me, it felt very like, it was very clean, yeah. very clean, but it felt very like a hospital setting almost, yeah. you know? And well, then- Well, y'all said, and this reminded me too, of like the pictures of back in like the World War II or Vietnam where there was a tent, a sick tent, and then there was just beds of just sick people. And so it felt like that at night, just there was beds and everybody had their own beds and just the buckets. And it just felt like- hospital kind of setting yeah, yeah and they couldn't serve the medicine until after the sun went down yeah and so the sun ascended center around six o'clock and then they would just gather everyone together and talk about the medicine talk about like what we're going to do what, what's going to happen and there was a lot so if you're if you're listening to this and you're kind of scared like literally every single fucking question you could possibly have about what was about to happen to you was answered yeah people were like what about this what if i have to use the restroom what if i have to you know puke what if i like what if i can i drink water like all these different questions so you felt i felt really prepared sure yeah. i felt like exactly i knew exactly what was going to happen what yep. could potentially happen so I think for you and I both first day we went in super open yeah and super like available for the experience super like ready to to see whatever you're going to see I was nervous but I was open and I kind of yeah. was just like let's just get this done and get the, the experience over yeah the they, first one they had us stop eating at two because they said the likelihood that you were going to purge or th like throw up was high. high. That's why every single person had a bucket. And so we stopped eating at two, five 30. We went in, um, we couldn't drink after we were in there. And prior to starting, um, yeah, they did just let us ask. They told us like how to puke, get on your hands and knees, like the techniques for throwing up. They're like, here's where the restrooms are. Cause some <laughs> of the purging was like, some people shit their pants actually, yep, yep. or like, you know, hopefully they were able to make it to the bathroom. Some yep. people did, some people didn't. <laughs> and then, so once they started, they, kind of went over the ceremonial tradition. So they told us first about something called rape and it's like a, it was like a powder, a tobacco and something else. I can't even remember what, okay. some kind of like tobacco powder and it's supposed to open up your third eye. Right. So some of those, some of those things were the things that I'm like, okay, well, whatever, like your third eye. Okay. They said it drives the medicine. So yeah. it's like, apparently it gets the medicine to your system yep. better somehow. So you line up in front of these shamans and there there's one main shaman and then there's like helpers I guess I don't know what they were called shamans in training she has sh <laughs> shamans assistant shamans it's they're called shits shamans in training <laughs> <laughs> well there was a lot of shit <laughs> and you sit down you kneel in front of them and they would do this kind of they take their like almost like a pipe but a straw and they would like hold it to their head do a little blessing or prayer put it to your chest and then they would scoop the powder in the end of it and then put it in your nose and then blow it in your nose so they blew this powder and I don't know about you but my eyes got like I literally just started gushing tears and my girl she goes 
tears are good. That's one way to purge. It's working. And I was like, okay, like, fuck. And so everyone kind of had the same experience. It burns your nose, like burns the bridge of your nose, like, and your eyes start watering. And then it starts conjuring up mucus in your sinuses. And so they don't want you to just like, blow your nose. they They don't want you to blow your your nose. nose. They don't want you to swallow it. They want you to like, kind of be like, like, like get it up your nose and then spit it it out into your bucket. So I'm like, fuck, here we go. Like we're everyone spitting into their bucket. Picture 60 people spitting into buckets. And it was so loud. Everyone's just like, (laughs) the the sounds. And I, one of the girls next to me already kind of started gagging, like throwing up. A couple people threw up on it actually. It was kind of nauseating. I actually kept looking around because they told us not to blow our nose. And I was like secretly trying to blow my nose. And I kept taking my tissue, wrapping it around my finger and like pushing it up (laughs) and trying to like dig it out. I actually really didn't like it. And I didn't do the rapé the rest of the week. It made me really nauseous. So I stopped doing it. But yeah. Yeah. So you do that first. Everyone's in line. And that takes a while. Like this is, it it just, it took a long time. So every night started at 530. We usually didn't end up getting to the rapé until about 630 or seven. And then finally they would start serving the medicine around, I would say 730, eight o'clock every night. Um, And they would serve a first serving. Yep. So everyone would get into two lines and there were two shamans and the size was maybe like a little bit bigger. That was probably a double shot glass, glass probably Mm -hmm. of the brew. And like we mentioned, it's still ayahuasca every night, but it's a different type of brew or it's brewed in different places in South America or one was actually brewed at Rhythmia. And then you would just take it in one swig and then you went back to your bed and you just lay down on you your back. sit there and wait. Yeah. And you just wait for it to something to happen. And I know my very first one, I thought it tasted really delicious. And after that, it Ooh, didn't. It kind of, to me, tasted gross. like melted dark chocolate, kind of bitter, kind of earthy, uh, but more watery and cold. But it was like a, yeah. Yeah, like I don't think it earthy. tasted that great. The first ayahuasca I took in California it was thicker, like mm. molasses. Mm. But this ayahuasca I thought tasted just went better. Back. So you, so you really don't know what's gonna happen. So you know when you like get drunk, you kind of like know what that feels like. Yeah. If you ever gotten high on weed, you know what that feels like. It's very predictable. This is very unpredictable. So to give you guys an example, so everyone kind of goes back, and within 15 minutes, someone starts puking. Yep. In the room, <laughs> like within 15 minutes, someone starts yakking. And not everyone does at the same time. Danny and I, just so you guys, neither one of us puked the whole week. The whole time. But some people puked all night, every night. And so it would usually take about, like, I would say 20, 30 minutes for something to start happening. Mm -hmm. And so for you, what was the first thing that started happening for you? Yeah. So the first cup of the first night, nothing really happened. I just sat there and I was like... I think I lay down and I was, so they, they ask you to have an intention. So there's a, there's three shared group intentions that they kind of tell you to have be your intention in case you don't know going in. So the first one is show me who I become. Yes. Show me who I've become. Why is that relevant? So that was the first, that was the first one that was really big. And I think like Jerry talked about just have the medicine show you who you've become because they say if you have those kind of questions, that helps answer any future questions. So he was joking around about saying like, don't ask the medicine things like, who's my husband going to be? Where does he live? Where does he live? Like (laughs) instead, if you know who you've become, then you know if the person you're dating is your husband or not because you know like who you're supposed to be right so, so they, the medicine is like a truth it's like a tr- kind of like a truth uh so when you say ask questions he, so just to give you guys an example like you would ask a question and you would immediately have an answer in your mind yeah. so the first question show me, show who, me I who i become or who i have become yep. that's relevant because in the tradition they say that around like five years old 
we kind of split off from who we are at our core selves. So like as a child, obviously, you know, you're like three, four or five years old. You're, you are just who you are. Like you haven't really had a lot of inputs yet. You haven't had a lot of considerations from other people. You haven't like started changing yourself based on society or, you know, just different inputs. So basically we're kind of start to become someone else yep. that's a more stage version of our true self. So show me who I become is at my core, who am I? Yep. And that's different than maybe how I present myself. Well, or show you who you become is like, who have you, like who you were and who are you now? Like what, like why are you an asshole right now? What, yeah, what your happened? ego. Yeah. Yeah, show you who your ego has made you become. And then the second intention was merge me back with my soul at all costs. So like they believe that at some point you're like when Jill said around five years old or however that something happened to you and somehow your soul just kind of, I don't want to say leave you, but like split. Like there was a split where you just were no longer that innocent kind of soul. And then the last intention is heal my, heal my, heal my heart. heart. So my intention for the first night was show me who I'm, who I've become. And first cup didn't feel anything. I laid there. I kept thinking about it. I was trying to just breathe. I was trying to relax. And I guess it was about an hour before they called for the second cup. So they started playing music. Then they called the second cup. And again, we lined up. And so they basically told us if you're feeling the medicine or if you're not feeling the medicine, go get a second cup. If you're feeling the medicine, go get a second cup. Like they just encouraged us to drink. And it was funny because Jerry's like, this is not the AA meeting. Like we're just going to tell you to drink and drink more. So they wanted us to get it, like get it, get high on it, get drunk off of it, whatever you want to call it. So I wasn't feeling anything. So I went up for the second cup and... Yeah. What about you? First cup, same thing. Yeah. So they gave us two servings a night. And if you didn't feel anything off a second serving, you could go and get more. So just to give you guys context, like we, uh, no one has ever died from this, right? Not that I know of. Like, I think there was one instance where someone died, but it was like, he had some like interaction with like a tobacco or like. Yeah. I think there's been some some kind of death where it's like. It was with other shit, though. Yeah, but it's not like, yeah. so this is actually, I mean, I guess it's fairly safe. But you, I mean, make no mistake, like, you are drunk. You're high. Like, you're yeah. pretty bit high. And we're not talking, no one's talking to anybody. No. So, like, you're in your own space. And one and of the Jill rules. And are completely on separate sides of the room. We're on separate sides the first night. And I don't know why we did that, but we just did. <laughs> they told us to get away from each other, like, if you were with friends or family, so that you'd have your own experience. So right. And he's like, mind your own business because you're going to hear, like, you're yeah. there, right? And you're, like, trying to focus on, like, okay, and be open. And you're hearing people fucking throwing up around you, like, people coughing, people, like vomiting, people getting up and walking around, like you're hearing all this stuff. So you're really trying to stay in, in your zone and really trying to focus on your experience. First cup, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. I felt uh, just a little bit tired yep. and that was it. And I remember just feeling really antsy. Like when the fuck is the second cup coming? Cause like, yeah. I just, let's get the show on the road. Right. Yep. So second cup came and then what? Second cup. I, it was probably about an hour into the second cup. It took a while again before I was like, Jesus, you know, nothing's happening. And at that point actually was when I finally was like, you know what? Nothing's going to happen tonight. I'm just going to go to sleep. And once I made the decision to just go to sleep and forget about it, I remember closing my eyes and then suddenly it was like, it was like, uh, I guess maybe I'm thinking Star Trek it is, um, where they're like traveling through space and all those, uh, like stars are coming at them really, really fast. It was like, I was like these fast things were coming at me, but they were, they called it sacred geometry. I never really heard this word, but it made sense when I heard somebody say it. I was like, yeah, that was what that was. It's like a bunch of shapes, like the spirograph when you were little and you put your pen in the circles and you can make those shapes. Mm -hmm. A lot of these like lit lines and shapes, like, um, like pixelated triangles and, and like pentagrams and just like a bunch of lines. And I remember even opening my eyes and looking straight ahead and I was looking at the person lying in front of me and it just almost felt like I was looking at a, 
an old TV screen when like you change the channel and it'd be like fuzzy for a second before it got clear. Mm-hmm. So it's like very pixely and and because I, I think somebody had said, maybe our friend Drew Manning, we called him before and he's like, oh, when you open your eyes, it's gone. And well, it wasn't yeah. gone. Oh, so was I, it? Was, oh. I was like, oh, I'm looking at the things that, in my eyes and everything looked weird with my eyes open and I closed my eyes and they was looked weird with my eyes shut. So I remember thinking for a second, okay, here it comes, like it's happening. And as soon as I thought that, then I felt sober again. And I was like, shit, I lost it. And then I kept going in and out of that kind of the rest of the night. I had these waves of like this weird, like visions and just like feeling like I'm zooming. And then what happened was I started twitching. I had these weird like twitches and I kept like scratching my neck and like scratching my chest and doing like these weird fucking twitches. And my instant thought was like, oh my God, I look like these homeless people in Venice. And if you've ever been to Venice, California, where Jill and I used to live, just there's tons of homeless people, a lot of people on drugs and mental illness. And they do, you know, weird shit. Everybody's seen some homeless people doing weird shit. So I was thinking, I am just like these homeless people and I was doing the weird twitches and right around that time when I was like getting this hit that I was this homeless person, uh, this girl in the room starts screaming. She started screaming at the top of her lungs, get him off me, get him off me. And I was kind of like, oh shit, is there somebody like attacking a girl in here? And so I was still kind of out of it. My eyes were closed and she kept screaming at more. She goes, get him off me, get him off me. I was so young. I was so young. Then I realized she was either hallucinating or having her own experience of something that nobody was in the room. And that kind of sobered me up really quickly. And I like sat up and I looked to see where she was and I saw some people run over there and I realized that nothing was happening to her. Nobody was attacking her. But then I instantly started worrying about her going, oh my gosh, like, what did she just see? What did she just go through? And then it went back into my homeless piece where I was like, wow all of the homeless women in Los Angeles or Venice were this girl. Like if you're homeless, like some shit must have happened to you. And I just had this idea, like everybody had been sexually abused or raped or something like that. And then I had at the same time also had this idea that I was like, I won the lottery that that I could have been homeless. Like I could have been the person in that scenario, right? Like I could have ended up on the streets had I just not had one mentor in my life or something like that. And so I felt this like sadness and I felt this compassion for people who were struggling. I felt the sadness for that girl. And then like after hearing her scream, that kind of sobered me up and I just lost any of the visions and the the shapes and all that was done. And, you know, I know by the time we wrapped up and Jill and I talked after, I was in a weird ass mood. And I told you, and I told her, I was like, I was just sad. And then the next day I had just this heavy sadness over me, but I'm going to go into your experience that mm-hmm. night and then we'll talk about the next morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, similar. So I started seeing, so after the second cup, I started seeing some of the sacred geometry to me. It felt like pixelated. Like if you've ever seen like on a television screen, that's not working. It's like, and it's that like, like almost confetti looking stuff. That's what it kind of looked like to me. And I would like slip into, if you've ever been like in a half dream state, that's kind of what it feels like where like random people come in and you're like having a conversation with this person. And, and I don't really remember any of the conversations. I just remember seeing like random people that I was like, Oh, I haven't seen them since high school or like just, it, it wasn't, but nothing was like fleshed out enough that I could remember having a storyline. One thing that started happening was at this point, the very first night was the most purging of all of the nights. Like 
and you could tell a lot of people in there maybe hadn't puked for like years even like some people were like fairly quiet other people were so loud and so violently puking that it was so distracting and so I was having some of this stuff but then after I heard the girl she was close to me I heard her screaming too and I really started like taking that energy on too and I got really scared for her and at that point same thing I kind of like was out of the experience I had my eyes open and I got really scared I actually got really scared of like if she hadn't known this about her past maybe this was a suppressed memory I w- I started to feel scared of like what have I been suppressing maybe, you know, and you're kind of in that half dream like state. So it doesn't really feel rational. And so that's where me up. And right at that almost same time, a little bit after that, a woman right next to me, like, like literally like right next to me had one of the most violent purges and shit her pants at the same time. And I just, and she started calling for help. And at that point I was like, I can't, like, I just can't do this. Like I was so disgusted and not like, and I felt bad for her, you know what I mean? But, and then she just said, can I leave now? And so I'm hearing all this and I'm just going like, there's no way. And I just remember I turned over on my stomach and I just was like, and I said to myself, there's no fucking way I'm coming back tomorrow night. I feel stuck in this room. I'm not having the experience. And I started, I just turned my brain off. I'm like, I'm not doing this. This is so uncomfortable. I'm stuck in this room until they say we can go. I'm around all these people puking and shitting. And like, for me, it was like just a really kind of, uh, I felt really trapped. Mm -hmm. And again, I think if I wasn't under the the medicine, I probably would have been a little bit clearer. But at that point, I remember saying to myself, no fucking way, I'm coming back tomorrow night and doing this. Like, I'm done with this. Mm -hmm. And so... Anyway, I think I kind of fall asleep a little bit eventually. And then they let us out at like one o'clock. At that point, everyone had kind of come out of, they decided it's over and everyone wasn't high anymore. A couple of you were still high, but we came back and we kind of just shared a little bit. And then we went back to our room and Danny and I at like one 30 in the morning started talking about our experiences. And I was just like, no way I'm coming back. And I was pretty solid on it. So the next day. Yeah. The next day, uh, the morning, I just, I remember feeling so in a funk. And I got scared because I was like, you know, I came into this feeling really positive. I thought I would leave really positive. And I felt like this fucked me up. And I was a little bit worried that I would stay fucked up. What I really felt like was if you ever have had like a nightmare and let, I just remember this happening a few times in my marriage where I'd have a dream that my husband was cheating on me. And then I woke up and I was mad at him all day. And I was like, He's like, why are you being such a dick? And I'm like, you cheated on me in my dream. (laughs) And so I think I felt like it was like I had a bad dream. And so my day was just, it was a weird heaviness. I felt like in this funk, I felt this sadness and I was going back and forth. I knew Jill was kind of potentially not going to come the second night. And I was like, okay, I have two options because it was really easy for me to not go. Because if she wasn't going, I'll be like, well, she's not going. So I'm not going to go. But then on the other hand, I was going, well, I need this to get better. So what if I go and it gets better? But then I thought, well, what if I go and it gets worse? So I was struggling all day, just like back and forth in my head going, shit, I don't know what to do. I did not like that at all. And then I was thinking if I only did the two doses and I felt like I didn't quite get enough that if I took more, what if I just lost complete control? And I was thinking about that girl screaming. I was like, what if I just start screaming and tearing around the room? And then we went to integration and Jerry, the owner was talking again. And I think hearing him talk again, I I felt a little bit less scared. Like he was mentioning some things that happen and how they can happen. And then I kind of laughed. I was like, okay, yep, that's, that happened. And I understand. And they, they would remind you to surrender. They would remind you to breathe and remind you that even there was like two parts of you, the person having the experience and then the person watching having the experience. So I kept thinking, okay, 
if I'm in the middle of something and I feel like I'm freaking out, I need to just in the back of my mind, just be like, breathe and you'll get through this. And I, yep. the one thing that reminded me too, was that it always ended, right? Yeah. Like they said, what was the mantra? Night. What's coming is going. What's coming is going. So throughout yeah. the week, they were like, remember as like, they're like, feel the emotions. Cause there are legitimate like emotions of like fear, anxiety, worry, dread, anger, like those emotions came up for you and they just said, remember to breathe through it Mm -hmm. and remember what's coming is going. Everyone eventually is going to come out of the medicine. Mm -hmm. You don't stay in that. I think that was a big, you know, fear of people is like, what if I stay this way? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So that was a good reminder. What's coming is going. And also what was this something about like the pain? Well, yeah. I mean, basically it was that. And so, so Jill decided not to go and it was 530, literally (laughs) 530. We were waiting, waiting, waiting. And all of a sudden I look at my clock, like at my phone and it's like 531. And I just like started crying. I'm like crying and laughing, but I'm like, I don't want to go. I don't want to do this. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I got to go. I got to go. And I was just terrified. I Because you don't know if it's going to get worse or get better. Yeah. Or... I was so scared. I didn't want to do it. I was thinking about calling up Josh and be like, what the fuck did you get me into? I can't believe I'm here. But I was like, okay, Danny, just freaking do it. And I had in my head too. And this is what I told Jill. Like, so we're, do- I knew we were doing four days and I was thinking about how I used to do cardio. <laughs> I do an hour of cardio and I split it up to four sections of 15 minutes. And so I kept telling myself, I was like, I'm thinking of it as four different 15 minute segments. And they gave us tokens every night. So we turned in the tokens and we had four tokens. So I had already gotten rid of one. I'm like, okay, I got one down and I have three to go. And so if I just took it one day at a time, I could get through it. And then I just gave myself the out too of like, okay, if the second night in a row is awful, you don't have to go the third. If the second night is good, then you're already halfway done and then you just keep going. So for me, I had to break it down mentally and literally I had to take it one day at a time because there was no way I could fathom doing Friday, which by the way, they told us Friday was going to be a 12 hour ceremony. So this, we were going 530, we were out by one. They told us Friday we were going to be at 730 and we weren't leaving till the morning till like eight or nine in the morning. So I was already like, oh, hell no, I can't even fathom this right now. So yeah, it was one day at a time. And the second night I went, so what happened to you? On the so this day? is funny. So <laughs> I decided not to go. And before then, I actually walked up to the front desk to ask about dinner. So I think we told you before, you had to stop eating at two. So I said, oh, what time is dinner? Is there still d- dinner tonight? And the guy at the front desk said, uh, yeah, but you're going to go to ceremony. So that doesn't apply to you. And I said, and meanwhile, there are only 60 people at this resort. So they are actually really good at keeping tabs on every single person. Name. They know everyone's name. They like They know you throughout the week. And so then I said, oh, I'm not going to ceremony tonight. And then I walked away. And as I'm walking away, they go, it's Jillian, right? And I was like, fuck. I'm like, yep, it's Jillian. And then um, not 10 minutes later, there's a knock on our door. door. Jill goes, oh, God, it's for me. And I was like, why would it be? And I'm like, someone's coming to convince me to come tonight. Because they're really attached to. And I was like, I didn't tell. I didn't tell on you. Right. So they're really attached to. They want everyone to have what they call a miracle. They want you to go to all four nights. They want you to go to all the integration sessions. They want you to go to all the orientation meetings. They want you to do all the things. Because the more you do, the more likelihood you are to fully integrate to the medicine, have the full experience, and leave being a changed person and what they would consider to be a success. And so this is really interesting what happened in this meeting. So the woman comes in and she's worked there and I had not not talked to her before. And she was like, 
really trying to convince me, like very hard, trying to convince me to go. And one of the things that I kept saying was, you know, I don't really feel like I have a lot of shit to work on. In Mm -hmm. fact, like, I don't know that I would have come here. I wouldn't have spent the thousands of dollars that these other people have. Like we didn't have to to spend that money. I said, so I don't know that it's for me. I said, I also, I'm struggling with like, I don't know that I would have come here of my own volition. I mean, I did obviously, but it was like, I just don't know that I have that much shit to work on. I said, Danny and I, we talk about a lot of our stuff. Like we, you know, we process, we're pretty aware of our bullshit, blah, blah, blah. And so she's pushing, pushing, pushing. And I just go, I'm actually really interested in why you're so heavily invested. And if I come or not, like I'm confused about that. And she goes, we just want everyone to have the miracle. And you, you know, you're an influencer and you, how are you going to influence people if you don't have this miracle? And I was like, we've been doing it for a year on the podcast. Like I said, <laughs> we've been that. doing it without. Yeah. And I was, I just kept defending in a way that was very, in my mind, like diplomatic, like I'm good. Yeah. You know, I, I said, I even said to her, I was like, yeah. I totally understand where you're coming from. Yep. I totally get why you think that this is like the ultimate thing, yep. but I don't feel like I need it to be honest. Like, and I could go along with my life and I can still, I said, oh, there's not like an urgency in me that I'm yep. like moment to moment miserable yeah. that I need this miracle. And it, this is, this conversation is interesting because it will come up later in terms of what I learned on night number three. But, um, so I ended up not going. So Danny, but went, what did she say to you? This was hilarious too. She's like, what? Does it show up in your life? Because you said, <laughs> yes. Jill she goes, well, what happened the trapped. night before? It was yeah. so bad. And I said, you know, I felt like I was trapped in that room. I said, I felt like I was in there and I wanted to leave so bad, but I couldn't leave. And I was waiting and on other people. She goes, do you have a problem in real life waiting on other people? And I go, yeah. And I go, but I fail to see why that's an issue. <laughs> I don't see why that's an issue. <laughs> I don't understand why it's a problem. <laughs> like, I don't understand any, I'm like, I'm an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Like, I don't have any kids. <laughs> I literally don't have to She's make like, any considerations about anything. People? She's like, yeah, but I don't see the problem. And I was done because I was like, I don't see the problem. I hate lines. Like, why would it's so on brand? <laughs> it was so on brand. So Danny went and I ended up talking to my boyfriend for an hour, going to work out, like whatever, you know, and I didn't have any sense of FOMO. I wanted you to have a miracle. Yes, I yeah. wanted you to have an amazing experience because I wanted you to come back and share it with me. But I didn't feel like I personally needed it. Yeah. So Joe was really supportive in it. It was a little bit of a struggle for me. Not that she wasn't going um, for her, but mostly because I can fall to her peer pressure pretty easy. <laughs> I didn't so, want to, I felt bad because I didn't want to disappoint you. But I, I like that she wasn't pressuring me to stay with her, but also she wasn't like, you have to go. And I didn't really need either way. I was having a hard time with my own self, making my own decision because similar to you and that I'm like, I don't necessarily need this. I don't not need it though. I am super curious about what can come out. And I think too, that, that I had, what, what I kept hanging on to was everybody that we talked to had done it had only positive things to say. Yep. Nobody had said they had a negative experience. Um, we talked to Drew Manning and to Josh and everyone said, oh my God, I'm so excited for you. So I kept going, okay, there has to be something to this. If everyone's excited for us, if everyone's having great experience, then there has to be something. So I just held on to that like nobody's business because it's the only thing I had to hang on to because my experience was kind of shit. So second night, same kind of thing happened. Although this time we had completely different shamans. It was some men and... They did a little bit of a different uh, beginning and like in the way of music and uh, different rituals. And they did the rape, which I skipped. And then we did the first dose. And this is where it got interesting. So the medicine was brought by different people for each each night. Was, it came from a different place. So this medicine was actually brewed at Rhythmia. They made it there. The other was brewed in Brazil or something like that. And I don't know where, I can't remember where, Colombia. So they gave us the medicine and 
the night before I knew that I it took about an hour. So I just assumed that I had about an hour to kill to wait till the second dose before anything happened. So went back to my initial intention, which was show me who I become because Monday I didn't get that answer. And so I took my first dose. I went to lay down and about 10 minutes into it, I was just thinking, I was just kind of like, you know, my brain's just kind of going all over. I'm like trying to think of stuff to do for an hour. And I kind of thought of the show me, I remembered, oh yeah, think of your intention. And I was like, show me who I've become. And instantly I got this idea and it was, you use men for validation. And I was like, dope, kind of like a punch in the fucking stomach. And I was kind of like, yeah, okay, I do, maybe. (laughs) And then I started to think, wait a second, why do I use men for validation? And I started to recall um, my breaking up with Nate and what happened and how I felt and how I felt when my husband left me. And I started to cry and I was sitting in the bed next to these people and it was so quiet. Like nobody had started throwing up yet and I was crying and I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to be that girl, the one who's crying and it's quiet in this room. So I got up and I went outside and I sat by the fire and I just started I started crying harder and there was a guy that I was recently dating who had really just fallen in love with me and I was feeling all of this pain and anguish around it because I just couldn't feel the same back to him and I was like I started to think back to this um, was I using him for validation mm-hmm. why did all this happen and I started going back to the heartbreak of my divorce and I realized that my heart just was really destroyed and I was in so much pain. So I walked to the grass and I was on my hands and knees and I started just sobbing. Maybe for 15, 20 minutes, I'm just losing it. Like just that hard, hard crying and like the anguish. And I, I had so many thoughts that came up and I'd have questions that would come up and then answers immediately and things like, asking if I had taken enough time to grieve. And I knew that I had grieved, but it's like I needed to grieve a little bit more. And then there was two particular men in my life the last two years where I had some kind of shitty sexual experiences that were not really consensual. And I immediately thought of them and realized Mm -hmm. that they were using sex for validation or using me for validation in the same way that I was using men for validation. And it was kind of like a little bit of compassion towards them and a little bit of like, sadness still of my heart being broken and I'm just crying and crying and then one of the shamans comes out and he they do this weird thing where they like put these these herbs in their mouth like it's like a water and they just spit on you and so he like sprays this water on my back and he starts taking these like feathers and plants and starts fanning my fanning my back and doing this little thing he puts his hand on my head and does this weird little shaman shit and I'm just crying so hard and it's, it felt like really good. And it felt like, um, at the same time while I'm going through all this, I was having this deep understanding of how I had become this way, why I was doing what I was doing and a recognition and a compassion for myself of my own heartbreak. Mm. And I was thinking about this guy that I have been seeing and, you know, just questions around that of, you know, I didn't mean to hurt, hurt him. And, I didn't mean to be searching for validation and what does that look like and realizing that my heart was just like what I had been doing was just trying to heal my own heart. And then like after crying for a while and after the the guy sprayed all this stuff on me, I like calmed down and I kind of felt resolved around it. Like I got it. 
so I got the answer who I've become. I didn't like that answer, but it, it like made sense to me and it felt like very like, okay, this is, this makes sense. And this explains some of your behavior and it's not who you want to be, but this, like why you did it is very just, not, I want to say justified, but it made sense why, you know, why that, that came up as an answer. And then and that was um, a form of purging, right? So yes, like, and so that was something too, is like, I remember when they did the rape, they said tears were a form of purging. So I was like, cause for the, at first when I started crying, I was like, this isn't the medicine. I was like, cause you're pretty clear headed, right? Cause it was 10 minutes after and I wasn't having any visions. I wasn't seeing any shape. And you cried pretty easily. But I just was bawling and it was like a heavy, I mean, it was just a lot. And I remembered, and I told Jill this later too, my tears even were so different than my normal crying. Like they were just big and it, like just a lot. And so... Uh, I was like, gosh, maybe that was the medicine. I like, I didn't think it was, but there was a whole lot of tears. So I calmed down. Um, I went back inside and then kind of just laid there. And then they were like, okay, round two. And I was like, okay, let's get round two. Like, let's get this going. And the same, same thing happened on round two. I went and laid down and literally within 10 minutes, again, I was like, okay, you know, I'll wait. I got an hour. And, um, I was trying, I literally was starting to think like, what should I post on Instagram? I'm like, I'm trying to waste an hour before this starts working. So I was just like, okay, I should think of something that triggers me. Cause those are always good posts. Cause they get people riled up. And instantly what came to my mind was a girl had messaged me on Facebook the other day and asking me about life insurance. And for whatever reason, well, I know the reason when right after Nate and I split, somebody had messaged me about life insurance and she was like, so what do you expect to be doing in the next five years? Like, do you think what you're going to do now is what you're going to be doing in five years? And I was so furious at that question because I was like, I didn't see this happening five years ago. Like, how am I supposed to? And I just moved to LA and I didn't have any answers. And so I felt like so insulted by her question. And then this girl messaged me about life insurance literally like last week. And I was so pissed because I just canceled my life insurance maybe less than six months ago. I had still been paying for Nate's. And I told him, I was like, take your fucking life insurance off my bank statement. Like, I'm paying for you. Like, and I did for a while because I was like, fuck, if he dies, good, I'll get his money. But now I'm like, no, take your shit <laughs> off. I'm paying for you. And then I'm like, and I'm not going to give you my money if I die. So I was kind of like, I was in this pissed off, like, thing about the life insurance of if I die, nobody gets anything. And nobody gets, like, I don't have any, like, I don't have anybody who deserves any money after I die and who gets anything. And so I thought about this. And then all of a sudden I thought, oh, I wonder who would be at my funeral. And right away I saw Jill and Jill's brother, Danny, who's been on our podcast and Danny's, um, girlfriend, Kelsey. And I pictured the three of them kind of sitting around, uh, Jade's old balcony. There's like a fire. We used to go out there and talk and I could just hear Danny's voice like clear as day. And he was like, he's like, Danny J would be, and like, he's, I didn't even know what he was going to say. And as soon as I heard his voice, I st I'm going to start crying again. <laughs> as soon as I heard his voice, I started crying again. And like I said, this is like within 10 minutes of taking the second medicine. And I was like, what the hell? This is so bizarre. And so I just started crying and all I could see was Jill and Kelsey and Danny, like telling stories about me. And I could hear them laughing and saying that. <laughs> so I'm freaking crying. I could hear them laughing and saying like, Danny would love to be here. Like she would think this is so great. And then it became like more people in my life, like more friends of mine and um, just different friends popped up. My friend Heather and my friend Ashley. And and then all of a sudden it was like more people. And then it was like I would see people coming up to jail privately, almost like you go to a funeral <laughs> and somebody would go talk to the spouse. Like they were coming up privately to tell her private stories about me. 
and just everybody talking about me and missing me. And again, it was kind of that thing where like as soon as I'd have a question, I'd have the immediate answer. And before going into this, not the intention, but Jill and I had made this list. They told us this like this thing called the labyrinth, you're supposed to take a rock and get rid of like six things and come with six things. And so Jill and I had really discussed some of the things that we thought we had issues with. And one was like kind of being unlovable or unworthy. Undeserving of love. Yeah. Undeserving of love or being like the friend where you, unless you're giving as much, like you, you don't want to take from the friendship and like there needs to be something you're giving back. And so I had this feeling that I just didn't give enough to my friendship or like, People didn't necessarily want, I don't know. I don't know exactly what it was, but there was this struggle around like this worthiness and deservingness of like friendship and love. And I realized like all these people like really loved me for me and like what I brought to so many people's lives was like so much joy. I could see like the look on their faces talking about, (laughs) talking about me and like the joy that I brought and it made me feel so good. And then I had this instant realization of like that I had to lose Nate. I had to lose the one person. And what I, I lost the one, but I gained so many more because all these people that I thought of that were now in my life weren't in my life when I was married. And and, and then it was like my new um, family that I have now. And so it was like this this feeling of like my heart being so full and thinking like, wow, there's so much love and so much joy. And I was just crying again, but this time it was just like crying out of just pure joy and like, and this just my heart bursting. And then I, and I was just like snotting everywhere. I mean, I had all the tissues and I was just blowing my nose. And again, this was different than the first night. I didn't have any visions, didn't have any um, shapes, didn't actually like see these people so much as like in a dream. It was just a lot of just like the thoughts would come in and, and I could hear like, like Dan's voice really clearly. And it was like, I could see this like picture of what could be. And so after I was done crying, I remember opening my eyes and looked at the ground and I had like, I don't know, like six, seven wads of toilet paper. And I got this idea to take it outside to the fire. And so I grabbed the wad of toilet paper and I went outside to the fire and I like kind of did this little prayer to the fire. And I was like, the, in my head, the wads of toilet paper just represented all the sadness that I ever had. And I was like, I'm going to give away the sadness and it's gone. Like, I want to get rid of all of this because I realized that I, I am like joy. And it's weird for me to say the word joy. I've never, that's not been in my vocabulary. Joy is not really something I think of myself or that's just not a word but it was like the word that was coming to me and so I threw the the snot tissues in the fire and I felt like I was just releasing the sadness and then I went back to my bed and just kind of fell asleep and then the rest of the night out kind of like your dream state how you said earlier I was like in and out of dreams I remember at one point I saw like Robin Williams head like face it was like right before he hung himself and I remember feeling the sadness and realizing like same kind of thing a person who brought so much laughter to people and yet was so sad and I felt like connected in that way where I feel like I bring a lot of laughter and joy to people and yet I had this sadness that a lot of people didn't know about and so that night was I think for me just really beautiful nothing crazy but it was just so much tears and so much um it almost just felt like answers of going like yes is why your heart hurts and also like look how much you've gained and look how much you have and look how lucky you are to have these people who care for you and also just this appreciation for myself of like 
like the laughter I bring to people. So it was funny because we talked. So you got in at like one thirty that night and I was just like, I was really worried that you had a bad night. So I was like, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, it was better than last night. I'll tell you in the morning. And so what we both went back to sleep. And then the next morning I was like, am I going to tell me everything? And you just told me pretty much exactly what you just shared here. And I started crying. You're telling me and I'm crying and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Like exactly, exactly. You know, but it was, it was really beautiful. Yeah. And that night I just couldn't like when I got to bed and I saw you, I was like, I, it was so much to process. I'm like, I can't talk about this tonight. So I had to tell you in the morning and it just, it felt like a lot, but it did feel just, it felt really beautiful and it felt really cathartic. And I felt at so much peace the next day. I was like, thank God I went back. I feel so good. I just felt like <sighs> relief, relief. So then, yeah. So, so then the next day, um, you know, because of your experience, I was like, okay, like, I love that you had that. I think what we were seeing too, by the way, was again, everyone there, 60 people, I would say probably the average age was maybe 45 or 50. Like yeah. it was an older, older demographic. It wasn't like, I was picturing all these like young yogis who were in shape and it like, wasn't a, pe- a lot of people were overweight. A lot of people were, uh, had ailments, had injuries. People were using canes, canes walkers, okay. like a lot of different degrees of health. And yeah. some people came there to be physically healed. So, um, I think that was surprising, but everyone's sharing their experiences amongst each other and also at the integration sessions and people were seeing some really fucked up shit. Like yeah. people were seeing some like hellish, uh, scenes and like, you know, obviously that one girl had, she ended up doing the next night that Danny went and mm. I did not go. She had another similar experience, That's right? right? That was one other thing. So after I was kind of done again, she, the same girl started screaming and she started she, I heard her go, get him off of me again. I was like, Oh God. And so what I did, I literally plugged my ears. I was like, I can't like, she can't get in my mind again. Cause I just had this beautiful experience and I don't want her to ruin my day tomorrow. Like she did yesterday. So she starts screaming and I plug my ears and then she stopped. So I went back to sleep and then maybe 10, 15 minutes later, she starts screaming again at this time louder than before. And then with more detail, she goes, she was like, get him off me. And then she starts saying, it was my dad. That was my dad. I was just a baby. Why would he do that? I hate him. I hate him. And just, I mean, like, I can't even go to the, the how loud it was, how shrieking, how horrifying, and how, how much hate was in her voice when she was saying, I hate him. So I closed, I had plugged my ears the first point, but this the second, as she started screaming again, I started to plug my ears. And then as soon as I was doing that, I was like, oh my God, Danny, why would you plug your ears to another human suffering? Like it was kind of like this idea of it's so easy to just like put your head down when other people suffer and you don't have to look at it if it's not happening to you. So I made myself listen to what she said. And I listened to her scream about her father apparently raping her as a baby. How however old and it was like the most heartbreaking thing and then I instantly had this idea of she just needs to be heard she just wants to be heard and as soon as I thought she just wants to be heard she stopped and the um, shamans came over and they were doing some things to her and helping her and then I'd say within 15 minutes I heard her and also she was screaming at the same time she started to sing to people. I'm so sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. And then she'd scream at him like, I hate him. And then she's like, I'm so sorry, you guys. So it was crazy because she knew she was screaming and disrupting. Yet she couldn't help herself. And so within 15 minutes, she, I heard her say to the, one of the guys, she goes, thank you so much. And he goes, this is what we do. And it was like, she kind of like, you could hear just a change in her voice and like this lightness. And prior to that, the night before Jill and I were like, is this bad for people? Like maybe if she never knew she didn't need to go her life, like maybe she didn't even need to know that this happened to her right now she's fucked up. And I think that hearing her, um, kind of get through it and be able to like release it, 
it seemed like it was very healing. And, and I had the idea she just needed to be heard. And I was thinking, you know, that's just somebody who probably felt like nobody ever heard her and she needed that validation that something happened to her. And that mm. I think as humans, we do, when we go through pain and we go through suffering, we just want somebody to know and validate our experience instead of being alone in it. And so I felt more at peace for her as well. I didn't feel um, so bothered like the day before. And it was also a good realization for me of that idea of closing off my mind and ears to other people's suffering mm. of like, why would I why would I do that? So, yeah. Yeah. I loved hearing all of that because it's weird. It's like, it makes sense. Like you're like, oh, that feels really cohesive. Like all of it, all the things that you had mentioned, like all the different parts of your night kind of came into this, like, you know, just this collective of like, I'm loved, I'm deserving, uh, you know, and as other people are too. And like, let's, you know, it's kind of like the shared experience. And so the next day we had an integration session and hearing Danny's full account, I was like, okay, I knew that we had two nights left. And I knew that this is the last short night because yep. the last night was a 12 hour session. And I was like, okay, if I'm going to give it another chance, it's got to be tonight because I don't know if I can do 12 hours. Cause remember my biggest triggers were I'm stuck in this room. Yep. Um, it's disgusting. It's like a hospital setting to me, like all these kind of things. Right. Like, and, and I don't even know that I even have an issue with like hospitals per se. <laughs> it just felt really uncomfortable and I felt trapped. And so I was like, okay, well, this is the last. And Danny also spent a good amount of her time outside, outside on hammocks. So I was like, okay, you know what? If I just am, like, I'm in that room, because I spent the whole night in the room. I was like, I can go out on the hammock. I can always escape. I can get fresh air. Like that will at least make me feel a bit better. So I said, I knew that I could do that. So, but even still, like 5.30 rolled around. <laughs> dun, 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 it's 5.30. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. We were like, oh my God, it was like 5.34 and we hadn't left yet. I was, I was like, like oh lying God. in the bed and I was like literally 100% Actually, she wasn't even about to go and I was I was like, just go. I took a pillow and just started slamming her with it. And like, her <laughs> I took your feet. I was like, I don't want to hit you, but I need to hit you. So I like started hitting your feet. I was like, just come. Just she come started like hammering you with a pillow. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, okay. I'm like, just come with me. I'm like, just do it. So we'll then like I was like, all right. But if I was going to go, I was going to, again, try and get in as open and like surrendering mental state as I possibly could because I'm going to go I might as well just go I'm like you know what maybe I'll have something tonight yep. whatever I'm going to at least have the experience so I go and do the same thing we have the cup yep and you can tell your experience in a second so I'll just kind of share with you guys what happened with me so I did not do the rape I ended up just doing the first cup and then lay down and I'm on my back and I'm like okay like I'm so zen I'm like I'm looking at the black I'm repeating over and over in my head like show me who I become show me who I become show me who I become nothing really comes to me but one of the experiences so they they say there's like four different types of experiences that you can have the first is a body experience I forget what they call it like soma or something it's like yeah. this you can have a purely physical experience where you don't see anything in your vision or anything like that but you have just like a body experience you feel um you might be sweating that's another version of purging right you might just have the have to use the restroom you know some people are using the restroom like 10 times a night other people are puking all night long like danny had her you know crying other people were laughing like there's a lot of different ways so they you can have just the purely body experience a second type is you can have the the sacred geometry which is i think called pinta and so you can have like this, that those kind of things where you're not really seeing anybody but you're seeing these shapes that the third was um the what they called a consult where you literally have like someone talking to you. So the guy, Jerry, who owns the place, he, his experience was the moon talking to him and his book is called shit. The moon says, 
And so he had like the moon was actually speaking to him. So other people have had like animals or a, like a grandparent or someone like kind of taking them through. And it really is a journey, taking them through this journey. Uh, and the fourth thing is you could have nothing. They call it nothing. You can have absolutely nothing happen. The first night I had a little bit of the, of the pinta, a little bit of the body experience, but nothing, not a consult. Some people were having like major consults. Some people were having mm-hmm. like surgeries. Yeah. So one of the things that a lot of people, and this is one of the things that's kind of woven throughout is you can have a surgery not physical surgery, obviously, but a spiritual surgery where you're watching literally, this is going to sound so fucking crazy, but like aliens or minions literally ask you, can I, can I perform surgery on you? Whether it's like, if you have um, an issue, like maybe you have something in your brain or your heart surgery or whatever, they ask you like literally aliens. Some people, some people are like, Oh my God, they were black aliens. Other people are like, they were silver aliens, like whatever. And, but there seems to be some consistency with that. And literally they would have a surgery. Some people would even start a surgery one night and finish it the next night. Like it was just these crazy things. And so during the first serving, I had a purely body experience. I'm there, I'm open, I'm asking, show me what I become. All of a sudden I'm laying on my back and I feel like my entire body is burning from the inside out. Like I'm not sweating, like I'm not like having to like sweat, but I literally feel like I'm on a pyre. Like I'm lying there and my hands, I can't really move my hands. They're like 100% burning. My feet are burning. I can't really move my head, my face. It feels like it's bright red. So it wasn't like I was on fire like that. It was like yeah. I was burning from the inside. Yeah. And I was like, that's interesting. It lasted maybe like, I don't know, 20 or 30 minutes. And then that kind of went off and I just didn't really feel anything else. And then I was like, okay, second cup. At this point I felt super relaxed. So I was like, you know what, if I just want to be safe with it, I could just go to sleep right now. I feel really good. I feel super relaxed, like no issues. I'm not nauseous. I don't feel like I have to purge. I'm not. And I was like, I, maybe I just won't get the second cup. Yeah. And then I was like, fuck, all right, I'll get the second cup. Cause at worst case, I'll just do this again. Right? Like, okay, if I, I'll just do this again. So this point I go get a second cup, I come back, same exact thing. I'm going to be trusting. I'm open. Show me who I become. Show me who I become. Show me who I become. And then same thing happens with my body. It feels like it's burning from the inside out again. So I don't know if that's a purge or not. So I don't really know because I wasn't really like sweating. I was just super hot. And so I then I'm like, okay, I'm not going to get anything like visuals or whatever. It's fine. And the thing that Danny said before is if your eyes are open, you're kind of out of the experience. But if your eyes are closed, you have a much more likelihood of like going into the adventure to going into the experience, going into the journey. And so I had closed my eyes and I was kind of in that like half dream like state. And so I'm like, show me who I become. And immediately I get a voice that says, no fucking way, not until you let your walls down. And I was like, oh, and like at this point, I'm like, okay, I don't really know what that means, but I can tell that I have some level of resistance. I think now looking back, I think I was more resistant to the physical Mm -hmm. vulnerability. I did not want to fucking puke. Like I just Mm -hmm. didn't. I had such an aversion to that the whole time. And then I, so at that point I was, became my job to keep my eyes open. I was like, I'm going to just fucking, I made this like conscious decision, like I'm fighting this and it's pulling me under. So I go outside and I get on the hammock and it is like, I don't know, it's 11 o'clock at night. And the, I really feel like I'm like actually physically fighting off the medicine. It's like, wants me and my eyes to close. It wants my eyes to close. So finally my eyes close and the voice is like, I'm not letting you open your eyes. Like it was almost like forcing me to have the experience. And at that point I was like, it's on. I'm fighting this tooth and nail. I'm not fucking having the experience. Like I just totally changed. And I like, I started like deriving a sense of pride from like holding it off. I started to feel a little bit nauseous. I was like, I'm not fucking puking. I'm not doing that. I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm not staying. And I was trying to like direct my thoughts the whole time. And it was really, it felt like a battle to be honest. Like it was hard for a couple of hours. And at one point, 
it was show me who you become. And this word just came out of nowhere. Word came out of nowhere. And the word was <laughs> self-righteous, which makes complete sense based on, you know, it's obviously not like uh, not something to brag about, but it was definitely like, I am self-righteous and it makes complete sense because I'm sitting there trying to like fight off the medicine and I'm looking around at everyone around me and they are having the experience, they're puking, they're shitting, they're like having all these crazy things happen to them. And I was just like, wow, like these people are so vulnerable. And at first I felt like they were weak. And that's like embarrassing to say, but I was like, these people are weak. I'm strong. I'm fighting it off. Like I said, in that like dreamlike state, you feel like you're deriving sense of pride from it. And then within like probably I would say 20 minutes, I totally changed. And I was like, these people are courageous as hell. I was like, they're so vulnerable. They're showing a level of vulnerability that I could never do. And I'm not doing like I'm actively. And so the next word that came up for me was coward. It was like self-righteous coward. It was like, you know, not that I felt like I needed to have the the full experience. Like I'm fine not having it. But I looked around at all these people who were having this full experience, this full journey. They were puking. They were shitting. They were like doing all this crazy stuff, physically vulnerable, emotionally vulnerable. And I just was like, wow, they are so brave. They're so courageous. And I'm a coward. Like that was the insight for me in that moment. I'm like a self-righteous coward. And it goes back to the conversation I had the night before with the woman who worked at Rhythmia when I was just like, I don't need this. Like, I'm good. Like, thank you. I get it. And like, you know me, I like debate. So I think sometimes self-righteousness is a sensitivity of mine because someone will feel like we're in a debate and I just think we're talking. So like, I'm like, but what about this? What about this? Because I'm purely curious. But I think for some people it can come off like I am, I'm in a debate with them or I'm a contrarian or some sort. And so it is sensitive sensitivity of mine. And that was a huge insight for me of going, man, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I don't know what to do yeah. as a result of like having this insight, but there's truth there. Yeah. And that was a big insight for me. And the other big insight I had that night was uh, at one point my eyes did close. Cause again, I'm fighting, fighting, fighting my eyes close. And I just see a very, like a flash of an image and it was a heart and it was my heart on my chest and it had a zipper on it. And it was just like zipped all the way up. Yeah. And it was just interesting, right? So like the the theme was the self-righteousness, the cowardice even, like not being willing to be that physically vulnerable, not being willing to be that emotionally vulnerable, fighting it off. And then also, you know, being, having these walls up and having your heart zipped up and all these kind of things. So the insight was that, you know, as much as I am practicing trust and I'm doing all those things, and I don't really know what the full meaning of it is, but it was interesting. It felt again, cohesive. Yeah. Like I'm not quite ready to go there. And if I am, then I will, but yeah. I'm, I'm not quite ready to go there yet. And that was a really interesting night because I, second part of the night, I ended up falling asleep in the hammock and they came outside and woke me up and said, Hey, like we're done. You need to come inside. And so that night, Jill and I decided not to be on separate sides of the room from each other. We're like, we're not going to follow the rules. We're going to be right next to each other. And, um, I remember coming in and seeing her laying there and uh, like kind of getting ready for the last circle up group. And you looked so peaceful and like calm and happier. And I was, I could see just this change in you as far as not being so agitated or so like, yeah, there was kind of like this, I don't want to say anger the day before, but just like, I don't need this. I did like this attitude. It was bratty for sure. It was attitude. Yeah. Like a, you called me attitude. grumpy actually. <laughs> it was I like think you adi- called me grumpy. Yeah. It was like an attitude. It was cranky. Yes. Cranky for sure. It's like this cranky attitude. And then when I came in in the morning, you just seemed like peace. It was like, I, I countenance is the only word I could come up with. It was like your countenance changed, like your face changed. And it was like this kind of peacefulness. And I was like, dang, I can't hear, wait to hear what she went through because 
my night was shit that night. So it was so funny because we can have such vastly different experiences. Because so, you pretty much slept the whole night. Yeah. So my night before Tuesday was amazing. All the tears, all the like just feeling peaceful and amazing. And that night we got our first medicine and then the first hour they wanted it to be silent. And I told Jill the night before, I was like, it was so quiet. It was so different than Monday. Monday was just puking and loud and vomiting and uh. And Tuesday was so quiet and beautiful. Like it was so quiet. I had to leave the room to cry because I didn't want, I didn't want people to hear. And then Wednesday, it was the same shit. And so I felt like I was lying to her because she came and I was like, oh, <laughs> it's just as bad. And she's like, like we talked about yep. later, she's like, that was the same thing as Monday. I'm like, I know. And I started in my head to blame the shamans because Monday night, we had the same shamans as Wednesday and they were these females and Tuesday was these guys. And in my head and like the drunk state I was in, I was like, I hate these girls. They're ruining it for me. They're ruining it for Jill. And I was so mad. And, um, I decided after the first, the first dose I was waiting and I was like, nothing's happening. This is the same thing that happened Monday. I'm going to go outside and wait for the second cup. So I went outside to the hammock and I figured I would hear them call the second cup. And I was out there just looking at the moon, just annoyed. And I somehow fell asleep. Next thing I know, I got up, I went inside and Jill was gone. And I laid down and I was like, they must have had the second cup. They must have already because it felt like forever. And then I passed out again. And the next thing I woke up and I realized they definitely must have had it. I must have missed it. And so that was really it. I was just irritated all night. I, f I just kept going in and out of sleep. I did have weird like dreams, but like, like your first night, nothing I could really, nothing linear, nothing that really made sense. Nothing that was like extra weird. It was just like kind of, I don't want to say a nada, but kind of just a nothing night and just a lot of irritation. And I was just like, that night sucked. And, and that was an interesting one because you had some of like your I had some answers. good insights and downloads. I didn't have like the adventure or the experience yes. or the journey, but even as I'm getting some of those downloads, I can physically feel like I'm fighting off the medicine and I'm so self-righteous, frankly, and like, so just like at war, like literally with this medicine. And at, in that moment, it was more enjoyable because I was outside. I felt like I had space. I was looking up at the stars. It was really beautiful. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not fucking coming tomorrow. Like, I just not. Like, I was just like, and so I told Danny my whole, like what I just shared with you guys. And I just told Danny the whole thing. And I said, but I'm still not going tomorrow night. <laughs> And what happened? And you got pissed. Yes. So she told me that. So we had talked before bed and I was fine at first, but then we turned off the lights to go to sleep and just my head, my brain started going crazy and I could hardly sleep the whole night. And I guess I, and this is what I figured out because I kind of forgot, but I woke up in the morning, just pissed at Jill. I was like, I guess I, what I started thinking was, because I know she was concerned about the girls screaming and we had interviewed Jerry and the doctor that day. And we'd ask questions like, hey, what if something comes up in your subconscious that you didn't know about? Like, what if you were molested by somebody in your family and you didn't know? And now the, all of a sudden, you know, and it's just like ruins your life. So I guess in my head, I'm, and so I must have been like, I obviously the medicine was working, but I felt like it didn't work all night. But I started thinking, maybe Jill knows something that happened and she doesn't want to deal with it. And I was like, maybe she does. And then, and then she told me about being a coward. And I was like, why is she going to let herself be a coward? Why isn't she just do it and prove that she's not. And so I started getting really upset and I was upset that she wouldn't tell me what she was hiding. Cause I convinced myself that she was hiding something and I convinced myself that. So I think also, cause I felt that whole piece of like being lovable. And I, I got this idea that when we feel the most loved is when people can see all of us and they love us anyway. And I remembered there was a time where 
I was having a bad relapse of my bulimia and I went to my OBGYN and I told him and he asked if I told my husband and I said no. And he said, if you don't tell him, I'm going to call him. And he ended up calling Nate on the phone and he talked to them. Nate was in the garage and I remember going to the room and like bawling. And I was like, well, this is it. My husband's going to divorce me. He's going to leave me because he's going to find out and this is over. And Nate came in and just gave me a big hug and just told me he understood and wanted to help me. And I remember that feeling of like, wow, now he knows, now he literally knows everything. Like he knows all the shit. That's the one secret I had and he still loves me. And so I felt that Jill must've had this secret and that if she would just let it go, then she could have that feeling of being fully loved. And so somehow I convinced myself of this. And I know in the morning she was like, I woke up earlier than the alarm because I didn't really sleep well at all. And she was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah. And I kind of just ignored it and didn't say anything. And then it was like maybe two, three hours later, I finally told you. I was like, I was really upset. You're like, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> but then at that point, I couldn't remember why because my my thoughts had gone on such a crazy like thing. And after I started thinking about it, I was like, oh yeah, this was why I like convinced myself you had these things you were hiding from me and from yourself and that I wanted you to just feel like loved behind them. So mm-hmm. it was kind of a weird, it was kind yeah, of the medicine was probably still working a little bit. And, you know, and I really appreciate that. Like I wasn't like upset. I just said, you know, I really appreciate that sentiment. And like, if there is something I'm hiding, it's not conscious. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, maybe there's something, but I don't know that it's conscious. And I do. And I totally, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a really amazing sentiment that like, even now, if you're listening to this, like you should tell your friends that like, yeah. that's a really nice sentiment about like, Hey, just so you know, if there is anything, yeah. there's like nothing you could share with me that wouldn't make me, that would make me love you any less or whatever. And that was really a nice, I kind of liked it, even though you were mad at me for, <laughs> I don't know what. <laughs> it was so weird. I was just like, why isn't she going to let herself do it? And like, if she heard the answer that she was a coward, then she needs to just not be a coward and right. and find out what it is. And I wasn't really that invested. Like I was kind of like, you know, if... I think that if I went back to civilization and was really struggling with that, you know, and I haven't been so far, but if I was really struggling with like, you know, those feelings, I'm still trying to process like the self-righteousness and stuff. I think that's a sensitivity of mine anyway, because, you know, in our business, like you have to, you have to be confident. And so like, mm-hmm. you have to be confident, you have to be confident. So like balancing that with humility, I think has been a, a little bit of a challenge for me at times. And so... I think I I convince myself or I have that like if I need it, then I can always go back to it. I don't really see it as like a once in a lifetime opportunity. I see it as like maybe it's something that I will do in the way that it's meant to be done, right? That like full surrender of physical and emotional that we saw a lot of people doing that is courageous as fuck. I didn't have that experience. I didn't go there. I didn't want to. I just, I put up my walls, knew I did total like awareness of, of that, but I know what it's supposed to look like now so that if I decide to do it, I know that it's there. Yeah. And I was actually, obviously, a few hours later, and once we talked through it, I was totally fine with your decision. And I also understood it because half of me really wanted to bow out of it as well. And I was really extra torn on the last day because I had told myself, okay, the second day is good. I'll go back. And then after that, I figured it would be good from then on. But Wednesday was bad again. So I'm like, great. So what if this is the last day? It's the longest day. You don't have an opportunity to switch it back. 12 hours, like that part was really freaking me out. The fact that I would be stuck there, I have the same feelings of feeling trapped. So I just convinced myself I can leave. I was like, nobody's watching. I could walk out if I need to. I could spend most of the night outside. Um, I just had to breathe through the whole day because I was like, oh my God, there's one more night and this is going to be really freaking long and it's not. But I was excited because it was the guys again, (laughs) the guys on Tuesday. I had convinced myself they were better. And I had told myself, 
that I could let myself leave. And they said on this last day that if a woman was on her moon, moon, cycle, moon cycle, period, moon, moon cycle, then you're not allowed to go because it would like open you up. And so I was like, and if you get if your you period, it, you have to leave. while you're at ceremony, yeah. you have to tell them and you have to leave. Why can't you have your period? They, they said something like it just opens up your energy and, and you, and you, you absorb, absorb yeah, the, everyone's energy, absorb right? Everyone's energy. So I was just tell, I was telling myself and I was joking around with, um, this friend we made, Michael, I was like, look, I might just start my period tonight. Like as a joke, <laughs> like I will tell them if I want you to get the fuck out of here, I'm going to just say that my period started and I got to go. So that was like my out in my mind. I'm like, okay, mentally I've got my out. If it's midnight and I'm done with this shit, I'm like my period starting and I'm going to go. So, um, first you know what's funny is actually after I took the first cup I went to the bathroom and I wiped it there was like a little uh tinge of blood which I usually spot like a couple days before my period and I just laughed because I was like of course which my period actually just started today so it's like three or four days ago but I just laughed because I had been joking around about it and I was like oh see I could kind of technically use this uh but we did the rape again I skipped it first cup. Now what was different about this, this is a Colombian tradition. They start later. They need to do through the whole night and it's supposed to go all night long. And it's this big celebration. And so we didn't start instead of at five thirty, started at seven thirty. So I knew that we probably wouldn't even take the medicine till nine. And that first couple hours of just, um, the first couple hours of waiting and waiting on people drove me nuts. So I think I even went into the room and grabbed something. I like left for a few minutes before we started. So they gave us the first round of medicine and it was a little bit of a different brew. They told us, oh, that was the other thing. They told us it was more purgative so that this, this blend, they call it Yahweh, 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 Yahweh. Um, it's also ayahuasca, but a different blend called Yahweh. It's more purgative, but they said more purgative at the other end. So like more likely to shit yourself. And I was like, you know what? I'm constipated all the time. I could, (laughs) I could definitely use a good dump. So I was like, that's, (laughs) I just don't want to puke. So, um, they gave us, it was a smaller cup and they gave the first dose. And then the other piece of the night was they were going to do what they called healings. And they were going to call groups of like 15 to 20 and the women would go in one group and the men would go in another group. And that was another thing that they did different was the women would take their medicine in one line and a different group than the men. And they, the men couldn't wear shirts for the healing and the women, they wanted us to show as much skin as possible. So I took the medicine and I went down I went and laid down and basically fell asleep. And then they came out with the second round, took the second round and I was starting to fall asleep and they came over and said, come over for your healing. So I sat down in the circle And at this point, my intention, and they made us speak our intention out loud. And so I told you guys at the beginning that it was like, show me who I've become, merge me with my soul and heal my heart. Well, I didn't feel like the merge me with my soul felt like something I needed. I don't know why that just didn't seem to vibe with me, but heal my heart was a big one for me because I felt that I realized that my heart really felt like it was broken after the divorce and it ached. And I actually said out loud for my intention was to heal my heart and to be open to love because I've been really struggling with the idea of being able to have romantic love again and to be loved again. And so they sat us down for the healing and what it looked like is a half circle of women and we're wearing white and these um, people are coming around like taking feathers and putting them all over you and spraying stuff on you and chanting and doing these dances. And so I'm sitting there and just like Tuesday night, I start crying. Mm. And because my first thought comes in my head. I said, 
I need you to heal my broken heart. And I started crying. And the first thought that came to me was your heart's not broken. It was torn in half. And again, these are things that it was like voices that are my voices, but not my voices, but it's a thought in my head that came out of nowhere. And I had this visual of like, picture a a steak, uh, a big, like fat steak. And if you try to cut that in half, like it's hard to cut it in half, but it's like, imagine taking a steak in your two hands and trying to rip it in half. That's what it felt like happened to my heart. So they're like, it's not broken. Cause initially I used to think of my heart being broken, like glass into like shattered pieces, like fragile glass, but it was ripped in half. And, and I'm going to say they, I know people say like she, the medicine, but I feel like it was a they, like this is maybe different versions of me or I don't know, but they said that it had to, we had to rip it in heart in order to make it bigger. And they said, your heart's bigger than most, but we had to make it bigger. And in order to do that, we had to rip it in half. And they said, it's not broken, it's healing. And they said, because, and they said, it's not broken and you have the capacity to love and you've been loving and people love you. And yeah. I realized that. And that's when the visions from Tuesday came back to me of like you guys, my friends and the people who loved me at the funeral. And I was like, you're right. I do still love, and I do have the capacity to love. And those people have been helping it heal, like to fill in the gap. So I had this vision of like two pieces of a heart. And then there's this gap that's been filling in with the love of these other people. And that was also helping it expand and get bigger and then I had the thought of they kept saying things like ask when you first felt this feeling and so I thought when was the first time I felt my heartbreak and I went back into my 16 year old self in the hospital room just having my daughter who I placed for adoption and it was right after that where she was taken away and my mom uh said I could no longer see my boyfriend and there was a night where I just bald on the floor and I felt like my heart was ripped out of my chest and they said that was the time that my heart was taken out and it was like put back in but it took and this is all like it sounds really fucking weird but it all made sense in my head at the time that it took seven years for my heart to heal so it was like ripped out of my chest when my daughter left and I don't know what the healing looked like, but I know it took seven years for like, for me to like get this new heart and rebuild. And so they said, we didn't take it this time. It's been ripped in half. Cause I was like, why is it taking so long? Cause I was thinking it's been almost three years since Nate left me. And why is it taking so long? And they said, it took seven years before this is only two and a half. Like this is not that it's not, it's faster, right? Like we didn't have time for us to rip out your heart, but we had time to rip it in half and fix it a little bit. So I had this idea of that like calm the fuck down Danny your heart's not broken it's almost healed it's only half as much time as the first time it took seven years before like you're fine and so I kept having these visions of myself at 16 years old and like what that was like and so I went back to my 16 year old self and it was like I was sitting in the room with myself my young self and I was telling myself that I was like proud of me and I was telling myself like it's gonna be okay like you're going to meet your daughter and it's going to be amazing. And then I went back to my 13 year old self when I found out that my dad wasn't my dad. And I was like, you're going to meet all of these people and it's going to be so amazing. And so I kept going from like my future, like my person now to my past selves and like telling them that it was reassuring them. Yeah. I was like reassuring them that everything was going to be so good. It was going to be so great. Like just hang on and believe. And I told Jill one thing I wanted to get when I went in this whole weekend, I said, I have one question. On the adoption episode, we d- I did episode 18 on the podcast. I had planned on having an abortion. And 
the day before my abortion, I met this woman and I just blurted out, I want you to have my baby. And I remember in that moment thinking, who the hell is that? Like in my head, I was going, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I was like, and she goes, are you serious? And I was like, yes. And it's like my, I was speaking, but I, I was like, who is taking over my body? So I told Jill, I was like, I want to know who that was. Cause I was like, maybe I have a guardian angel and, or maybe it was like, was it God? Was it Courtney? Like saying like, let me live. And so I asked that, I was like, who was that? Who was that that said, I want you to have my baby? And the answer I got was, it was you. It was me. It was this is so like twisted and weird. But the answer I received what was, it was you now. So it was like the version of me now, going back to my <laughs> 15-year-old self, almost like what I was doing, which was like reassuring myself and telling myself it would be okay. It was like so many layers of like, mind fuckery but it made so much sense in the moment and I was like I just remember thinking wow it was me it was fucking me like I thought it was somebody else and I had a few moments in my life where a friend passed away where I felt like she was with me I'd say I think it happened twice and when I was pregnant she was still alive so I knew it wasn't Kelly I was like so I thought there was just another person like another maybe a a grandfather or somebody but it was myself and that was like my head exploding kind of like wow it was me I mean, obviously it was me because I said it, but for me, it wasn't me because it didn't feel like, yeah, my, it, it didn't feel like your, it was outside of your, it was, yeah, it wasn't my self-concept or whatever. Yeah. It wasn't my conscious thoughts. And also, cause I had planned to have the abortion, like it was set to go. So I was like, why is my, why am I, why am I like overriding my own thoughts of what I was doing? So while they're doing this healing, I'm just crying again. I'm crying because I'm, I'm holding my, my younger self. I'm telling myself it's going to be amazing. It's going to be beautiful. I'm realizing in that moment that it is amazing and it is beautiful and it has all worked out. And then I also had the idea or the thoughts that they said, um, going forward, they were like, remember if you have like questions, just ask, like, just ask us because we told you back then it was going to be okay. So if you have questions now, like going forward, ask us. And I was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And it was weird because I don't know who the us is because the us was kind of just me indefinitely and me going past and me going forward. And it doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense, but in the moment it made a whole lot of sense and it felt very... Maybe it's just like, it is your subconscious in a way, right? Like, so that's the thing is like, one of the things that they said about this medicine is it does, it hooks up your conscious brain. So we asked like the physician, like what is exactly going on? And he was like, we have, we have conscious thoughts in our prefrontal cortex and we have a lot of subconscious thoughts that are happening and they're stored either our subconscious or maybe repressed memories, things that we don't remember consciously are actually in our amygdala amygdala. And what this medicine does is it starts creating new like synapses between Mm -hmm. some of the unconscious and some of the conscious. So that makes sense to me that we could maybe access memories that we didn't even know that we had. And we can also access a subconscious version of ourselves that might not be in line with our conscious self. Like, you know, maybe, so it's, it's fucking trippy, you guys. Like even we're talking about it right now and Danny's trying to explain it and it is so hard to explain. I was actually explaining to my boyfriend and every single, like every five minutes I'd be like, I know it sounds fucking crazy. Like it's even (laughs) weird even talking about this. Like it's so, you know, and obviously, not obviously, but I can at least speak for me that I don't normally, like this isn't my normal like way of talking about things. So it's even hard for me to talk about it. I feel even uncomfortable talking about the experience because I don't really identify with someone who is spiritual per se. Yeah. 
you know? And so like, I, I'm very cerebral, very cognitive. Like, so we can, and it was interesting what they kept saying over the week and I want to let you finish. But one of the things they kept saying over the week was like, try not to intellectualize it. Yeah. Try not to like, try and make sense of it in the moment. Yep. They kept being like, just be in the experience, like let all the images come at you, whatever those are going to be, let that just happen. And then you'll integrate over the next month, six months, year, however long it takes to integrate you and I, because I think both of us are very like, we're, we tend to intellectualize things. Obviously we talk on this podcast all the time. We're, we're pretty aware, We've done a lot of work on ourselves. I was trying to process in the moment. What does yeah. this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? Yep. And I like to make sense of things. Like I don't feel comfortable with just like something coming in and like a picture of a heart with a zipper. And I'm like, what the fuck is that though? Mm-hmm. Like I want to add meaning to it, whether it's quote unquote the universal meaning or yeah. it's just the meaning you give it. Yeah. Right. You know, I think a lot of this, we just kind of like make up in a way, but it makes sense to us. And we all humans do. I think that's why people like religion. Like we like to connect the dots. Yeah. We go, okay, this means this. And if this means this, and then we can feel safe because we have a construct. Yeah. And so I think we did a lot of integrating in the moment. And I don't think it was wrong per se, but I think that's just the way we go. Well, it just reminded me too of actually, I forgot what happened the second night after, uh, after crying about Nate and my heartbreak, I started speaking and I actually was speaking out loud. I sat in the corner and I was just kind of like, I'm not really doing well with my business. And I was kind of like talking to myself and I had this idea that they were like, start giving your stuff away again, find the money project, give it away. And everything is going really well. Like keep doing what you're doing. It's all going to work out. So like financially stuff like that. And so it was weird because I felt what was so odd was I felt like I could ask a question and get an answer, ask any question and get some kind of an answer. And just, it wasn't even like an answer. It was like a just instant knowing, like you just instantly knew the answer or you instantly knew what to do. As soon as the Mm -hmm. question was even halfway thought the answer was right there. And so that thing at the end of the night, which was like, ask us, and the ask us was like, basically ask yourself, like get in touch with yourself was again, like, I, like Jill, I don't consider myself really spiritual. I don't like pray to a like certain God or anything like that. Not that I don't believe in that. I just don't believe in the way that I was taught it growing up. And so I've really struggled for a long time with my concept of God and spirituality and religion. But there was so much that just felt so real and I can't like explain it in a certain way except just the way that I am, just the voices that are just like the instant answers. And so however that looks, and I could see the same exact thing. I could say it was God giving me the answer. I could say that it was mother ayahuasca giving me the answer. I could say it was my higher self, which feels more true to me was more like, I would say like my higher self giving me these things, whatever it is, it was something that I can't really explain. That's all I can say. All I can say is it's not really explainable. It wasn't something that i I don't think I would have necessarily been able to access on my own, except when I've done hypnotherapy and I've had a similar experience in hypnotherapy where I've had the the answers that came from my subconscious. And so that was a beautiful night again. I ended up going outside afterwards, laying out on the hammock and just falling asleep. And I woke up three different times. Um, I saw the moon kind of moving and I felt, you know, one of the things they say is a lot of people feel really connected to nature, feel really connected to the whole, feel really connected to the universe. And I could say I felt that in a way of like feeling connected to and realizing that we are all on a similar path. Like I felt that night with the girl screaming, that was one of the nights I felt so much compassion and like the homeless person feeling that I'm one of, I'm one of the human race. Like we're all part of something. And I think that for me, um, my experience was really beautiful and I'm glad I went. Um, 
there was, I feel like I got a lot of answers even to questions that I didn't know that I had. Um, I feel that I feel more at peace and I feel like I really, uh, love myself more than I have. Like I, I have so much, um, it's so weird. I told you like, I don't want to sound conceited, but I love myself so much now. Like I'm like just the, 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 the joy aspect of my personality is like just, there's a bright light on it now that I didn't even realize. Cause I had so much, and I actually had more sadness than I thought. I never realized how much like deep sadness I carried that feels like it was just lifted off. But what a fucking trippy experience. That's all I know. And then the next day we did this breath work thing, which we're done with the medicine. So yeah. I was so the next day we did, uh, we had a breath work session. So I think one of the things that was a little bit tough for both of us in different ways, I definitely noticed that my autonomy button is huge. Mm-hmm. So like the idea that I had to be on someone else's schedule the whole time, I hated that. The fact that we had like a lot of lines we were waiting in, the fact that people were like constantly sharing things that I felt like weren't really applicable to the group. Like it's one of those pet peeves. Like remember in, remember in like high school or caught like when someone would just like share something, you're like, there's nothing to, it's like not yeah. helping anybody. Yeah. And so I had a lot of, uh, patience issues. Oh my God. I had a lot of like, and so I was just noticing and, and we were kind of laughing about it all week. But you, you know, you and I are not really used to doing things on someone else's timetable. So a lot of those triggers came up for me, but that would be anywhere. Like if I, I, I've gone on retreats in the past where I just hated it because of that. Um, it's something to look at. I don't know that it necessarily, again, I don't know if it's necessarily bad or Mm -hmm. like it's keeping me from the experience, but it was, so the breathwork session was the next night and I had done breathwork a couple of times before and had some good insights. It's very similar. It was similar, at least in the ayahuasca, that you do kind of get these images in your mind or certain like uh, events or things come into your mind without you consciously conjuring them. I did not have that experience at breathwork this time. This time I had a lot of like physical. So if you guys don't really know, breathwork is a lot of different types, but, um, the one that we were doing essentially kind of puts you into a hyperventilated state. It was faster breaths and it was, it was long breaths, but it was faster. So you're kind of like trying to imitate maybe like a hyperventilated state, in which case you are, um, you know, you're cutting off oxygen. So you tend to get numbness and tingling in your extremities. Uh, you have a lot of like nervous energy. I was getting restless legs. Um, you kind of like need to move a lot. You kind of want to like yell. Um, so there was a lot of that. (laughs) (laughs) there was a lot of that I didn't love the breath work it's a lot of work it's actually work like it's like you don't just lay there and something happens to you it's like you have to physically breathe and fast and and take like full belly breaths and things like that I didn't love it we didn't go back on Saturday night there was a session we skipped that one I hated the breath work and you hated it but it was a continuation of some of the irritations we were having all week yeah it was just I felt like I was panicking. I felt like I was drowning. I thought that I was like in a coffin with a bunch of other dying people. I felt like we were all being, in my head, we were all like lying in this giant grave and being buried alive and everyone was screaming and I'm trying to breathe and I just like was so irritated but was really interesting is then they suddenly like told us to hold our breath as long as we could. And then we started breathing slow. And by the end, I felt really good and relaxed. I was crying off and on for sure. But uh, I don't know. It was because I don't think it was a purging. Like, I don't think Mm -hmm. it was because of any emotional trigger for me. It was just literally, I don't know if you guys have maybe had this experience where sometimes when you're exercising, you like see a commercial on television, you cry. Yeah. Like you're so close to crying because you're in an excited state. You're in like more sympathetic nervous state. Yeah. 
So I'm always going like, okay, from a, from a biological perspective, what's happening? So when you put yourself in this like hyperventilated state, you're at a higher like yeah. sympathetic nervous state and it's easier to cry. It's easier to laugh. It's easier sense. to have an orgasm yeah. when you're in that state. They've actually shown that like 10% of women orgasm during exercise at one point in their yeah. life. So like you're just that closer to having that like yeah. that more excited experience. So I was crying off and on, but I don't think it was from an emotional, but I it wasn't, it felt cathartic. My emotion was rage and I had <laughs> express that and I um I just felt rage anger extreme rage and when it was over I was so so glad but it was interesting too because honestly when I look back at this whole week there was I I'd say it was just such a roller coaster there's so many ranges of emotion there was extreme sadness there was rage there was anxiety there was fear there was so much love there was joy there was just like it was like every freaking emotion you can name I just felt like I felt it and in extremes, like fucking extremes. The breath work I think can be really powerful, but I, I think also just at the end of the week, it was like, we were just, it was a lot. We were just yeah. Done. I think we just had like an emotional hangover we to be honest. Done, yeah. I think we had like a little bit of an emotional hangover. So then we went and we surfed on Saturday. And to me, that was really cathartic too. Cause there's something loved about it. like I so cleansing it. about the, um, salt, yeah. you know, and just like being out there and like getting your ass kicked in the waves. And like, even though there were baby waves and our board was huge, like getting up and it just felt so exhilarating. And I was like, you know, this is for me, it was a really great way to end the week. It felt like something I chose to fucking do yeah, yeah. versus being on someone else's <laughs> schedule. I was like, yes, I'm back in my autonomy. Yeah. And that was really, that was fun. I loved the surfing. And one thing I remember was a lot of people's experiences during ayahuasca was they said they had visions or experiences with their younger self, like baby Jill, baby Danny, younger self. And I didn't really have that except about three months ago. It was in November. I worked with these this couple in Utah, did a five-hour session with them, and they kind of had me do this. I'd say meditative state of, and it was like going to your younger self and having this conversation. So I felt like maybe I'd already done that. And that's why the medicine didn't need me to do it. But, um, what I remember saying to my younger self, well, they, they asked me to ask her, like ask baby, younger Danny, little Danny, as they called her, what do you need from me now? And she said more time outside and more play. And so I felt like the surfing, I remembered that. And I was like, oh, good, we're doing this. Like we're going, because I almost, because I really hate water and I'm scared of the ocean. I'm scared of a lot of water stuff for a minute. And I didn't tell you, I almost was like, you know, I don't need to surf. I don't really want to go in the ocean. I was scared of being cold because we went to the, the water the day before. It was really cold. And I was like, I'm not really going to like this. And I'm kind of terrified of drowning. And then after the breathing thing, I was like, fuck, I do not want to like, this is what I need. This wasn't a, a just a vision I just had as we just did this breath work and this is what it's going to feel like when I die in the ocean because I'm <laughs> drowning. So I almost freaked out. And then I was like, nope, little Danny said I need to do more outdoor stuff and, and play. And so I think it was just a lot of play. It was fun. I, I've surfed once before. It was like 2003. Yeah. Same. And it, you know, I didn't really, I got up one time, but it was more of just flailing. Yeah. This is a great experience. <laughs> so then, okay. So questions like as you wrap up, do you, would you recommend this? And if so, for who? I would definitely recommend this for anyone who's curious and who is willing to face whatever comes up. I think one, I think some of us know that we have some bullshit we need to deal with and we're not sure how we want to deal with it, but if you have to, it's not for 
the fucking week. That's for sure. It's not for a person who wants a quick answer. It's also not for fucking fun. It's not to like get high and have a good time. Like this is not a drug that you would just like do at a party. Like nobody in their fucking right mind would do this just for the hell of it. It's it goes deep. But if you were going to do ayahuasca, if you're like, this is something I feel like could help me. I think the insights could help me. I would 100% do it this way over the four days versus like what I did the first time when I did it one day. Cause I feel like the one day wasn't enough. The experience is hit or miss. Like you and I both had different experiences on different nights four nights. I had two really good nights and two kind of weird nights. So I would, if you want to do this, my, my recommendation would be, this is at least if you're going to do it, this is the way to do it. Don't go to like a one nighter. I feel like that's kind of doing your, yourself Self a disservice. disservice. And I would also recommend going to somewhere like Rhythmia where they do have like they're, you know, fully medically facilitated, like and it's supervised. Clean. It's super safe. It's super clean. Like it's only 60 people. I know it feels like maybe that's a lot of people, but you know, everyone at the resort kind of starts to know each other throughout yeah. the week. They have really healthy food. The food is delicious. Like I would definitely recommend doing it through somewhere like Rhythmia. Yeah, it's a little, it probably pay a little bit more, but like, don't yeah. be in the jungle in Peru and like puking off yeah. the side of a tree house or something like, I think too, even the integrations every day, um, even though some of the sharing I didn't always enjoy, it was like getting mentally prepared for the next day. Yeah. So often every day, the day after there'd be integration and it would just be like, okay, here's what you're going to, this is what's going to happen tonight. And so it can mentally get me ready for those mantras. Like what's coming is going, okay, good reminder. Like, this is what I need to get in my mind. Right. Cause if I just I don't know. I just, I felt like they did a really good job of mentally preparing you. So like you said, the first day, like we knew what we were doing, getting into, didn't know what it was going to look like, but I just felt prepared. Yeah. I felt safe, even though I was terrified. I, I felt super felt taken safe. care of. Yeah. I felt, you know, and it's, I like that there was a lot of questions and no question was like too small. Like you and I personally didn't have a lot of questions. I think we were like, you know what? We'll just figure it out when we get there. Yeah. Like we do with a lot of things, but a lot of people had very specific questions about like, where are the bathrooms and what do we do with that? And how do we puke? And like, I mean, just very like, I'm just like, what do you mean? How do you puke? You just fucking puke. There's the bucket, figure it out. You know, like you and I were kind of like, and they were like, well, when can we start drinking water? When do we have to stop? Like we're, you know, I don't know that we really had a lot of those concerns. This one lady was like, can I put water on my hands? I was like, oh my God. Yeah. I mean, and so there was a lot of questions and I was looking around the room going, wow, like I thought I was scared. These, these people seem like way bigger control freaks than me. Come to find out they weren't. Yeah. But, you know, I, I would definitely recommend someone like Rhythmia if you're interested. But do go into it knowing that some shit might come up for you. So if you're someone who likes a more gentle approach to dealing with your shit, yep. then keep doing your thing. Like, and I didn't feel like I needed the, like, sledgehammer. Yep. I was like, you know, I, I do have some bullshit. I still have some things I'm working through, and I know what those are. And it, it, it was kind of a similar yeah. thing that came up. It was like, okay, yeah, it's an affirmation of what I need. But if you are someone who is, maybe you are in an addicted state. Maybe you are moment to moment miserable. Maybe you are feeling like, you know, maybe you're dealing with chronic depression, chronic anxiety. I would recommend maybe doing something like this. Yeah. And I think too, to know that this is, and one thing that Jeff said and Jerry said that this is just a tool. So for me, I've done so many kinds of there. I've done so much therapy in my life. I've done so many different types of weird things. I've done NLP training 
and I've done hypnosis and a lot of those things are amazing. Um, hypnosis has given me some similar insights as some as like the, the answers that came to me. So if you feel like this isn't something that's up your alley, if you're too scared of pooping and if you're too scared of puking, then maybe hypnotherapy is something that might be a little bit more uh, for you. I like that they said that. I like that yeah. it was like one tool of many and it wasn't like, you know, cause I think you can become evangelistic about something like this, especially if you've had an amazing experience. The one thing that did help us go through with it, I think, was knowing a lot of people who had done it and said that no one had a bad experience. Like they were like, it's a roller coaster. Get ready for that. Like it will definitely show your shit. It's not like Danny said, it's not recreational, but no one said they regretted it. And I think that was key. But I, you know, I wanted to know is, is this the only option? And I really appreciated Dr. Jeff, who's the head of the medical part of Rhythmia. And he was just like, this is one tool of many. He's like, I've been a, you know, I've been a therapist. I've been doing this for like all different eight, different types of people, different demographics for years. And I appreciate this tool for certain people, but I think there's some people who have, you know, much like Danny and I probably, and a lot of you guys who are listening who have worked through a lot of your stuff, you probably wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't already on a personal development journey or a journey of introspection or asking yourself some of the the questions and really trying to find your blind spots. I think that maybe ayahuasca is something that can show your blind spots a little bit more directly and a little bit faster. Yeah. And if you have thousands of dollars, I would recommend going to somewhere like Rhythmia, but I would definitely, like Danny said, try and give yourself at least a couple of nights in a row there was a question on here um and question i asked myself was would you do it again or was it just would you just be one and done and it's funny because after the first uh second night that i had a good experience i was like you know i could i wouldn't need to do this again but last night we got home and i told jill i was like i wasn't ready to talk about it last night i just still had a lot of processing and i think i would do it again um not i would just do it in a different way and not anytime soon um I don't know if I would at any point. I just, but if it came up and I felt the need to, I would. I would do it again if I felt the need. Don't feel the need right this moment, but I think I would do it again and I would also push myself a little more this time. I, I, because I didn't have the visions and stuff like I did the first night, I'm kind of curious as to what point I could take my body, like how much I could, how much could my body handle? And also because of the business questions that I asked myself that I got answers to. And it's interesting because Jerry said he did like 50 journeys or 47 journeys. And he had like this, these books of all these things. And some parts of me is like, you know, I wonder what other kind of like genius stuff I might come up with. Hmm. No, no time soon. I wouldn't do it, but I could see, I could see the utility in doing it again. I could also see the utility in getting everything you need in once. So I think that is a very personal decision for me personally. I would do it again, but I don't see myself doing it again anytime soon. Yeah. I don't see myself doing it anytime soon or ever again, to be honest. Like, I mean, if like, again, I got to a place where, like I said, the demographic there was a little bit older. So I said to Danny, you know, even though we kind of got, we got a full ride to Rhythmia and it was great. And I'm so appreciative for the opportunity. And I hope that we did them justice in, in talking about it. But you know, if I'm at a place where I really feel like I need this and I get a total change of heart and I'm like, I'm going to go all in, I'm going to like put down my walls and I'm going to do a thing, then I'll just spend the money to go. Like yeah. To me, it's like, that's not, it's like when people go on vacation and they go to Paris and they're like, I need to see every single thing. And I'm like, well, maybe you might go to Paris again. Yeah. You know, same thing. I feel like it's, it's there as a tool. I don't know that I really need it. I still want to continue to work on my stuff. More than anything, I'd see myself going if there was somebody I really cared about that wanted to go and I would go, 
okay, you need, you want to go for your experience. I'll go with you. Like I see myself more doing it then and going, okay, I'll figure out some things that I like, I'd like to come up with then. But actually um, I said that to Keith last night, we were talking about it and he was like, you know, he was like, I would consider going. I'm like, Uh I would actually like to go with you. I think. Yeah. If there was a person in my life that wanted to go, I would hundred percent go with them and do it again. But for personal reasons at, at this point, I don't, I don't see myself just looking for it anytime soon at least I'm proud of you yeah I'm proud of you yeah it was a fucking crazy week I'm proud of us that was crazy <laughs> I know this went a little long you guys thank you so much for staying on obviously we, we are welcome <laughs> yeah well, probably not because we just I don't know where even we would but um if you guys have additional questions obviously you know you can always go to our uh, Facebook group thebestlifepodcast.com you can always reach out to us DM us on Instagram um if you have specific questions about the ceremonies if you have specific questions about Rhythmia we again, actually even have a special link for Rhythmia it's Rhythmia dot link slash best life we'll put it in the show notes but just for referral purposes or if you do get a hold of rhythm and we also have a special 1-800 number we'll put it in the show notes as well but if you do let them know um, we sent you because I think they would appreciate that you know they they were so generous and went above and beyond and I mean I would 100% recommend that I mean I there were some there was a woman I met the second day at the pool and she said her first experience was in Peru and it was in a jungle and just very different and I just felt like I can't imagine just puking in the dirt. At least like we get to puke in like nice clean buckets. <laughs> <laughs> they but, did a good job of keeping yeah. the air circulation going too. That was another big, like somebody, like I said, some of these people yeah. were struggling, man. Like they're struggling, like, and it could have been me. It could have been me. So yep. they did a good job of keeping the airflow. They did. But yeah. So anyway, if you guys have additional questions or you want to jump in the conversation or you even had an experience that you want to share with us, we're happy to, to listen to that and to share that. Thebestlifepodcast.com is our closed Facebook group. And yeah. Good job, friend. Can't believe we made it. I know. You guys, thank you for listening to this. And, you know, I I think I'm really, it's really cool for Jill and I as well, because like she said, this isn't part of really our identity and what we do. And I think even that helped us kind of break down a little bit of our own ego and sense of like who we are and realize too, that it's not going to necessarily change us. I think I kind of had this idea, like, what if I go in and then I brainwash and suddenly I come out and I'm one of those weirdos. And I realized it didn't do any of that. It just made me feel like I more in touch with myself and know myself better and also know that I don't need you don't have to do anything you don't want to freaking do no. that's for sure definitely so. not. well I knew that going in and I knew that the whole fucking week <laughs> never doing anything I don't do anymore I'm such well, a brat I was yeah. really bratty but it was all good yeah but anyway we thank you guys for listening to this experience we love that you, we got to bring you along for the journey and kind of explain everything and can't wait to hear your comments on it and definitely we're going to continue to let you know if things come up in the future because they kind of said that sometimes things take two three months and they're still processing so I know even yesterday I was still processing so yeah we'll, and we had a couple of really awesome ideas for additional podcast episodes while we were high yep <laughs> all right we'll, we'll see, see you guys, guys soon bye, bye.